Welcome to Minnesota Jazz Legends, The Elders. I'm Patty Peterson. In Minnesota, we're very lucky to have many jazz musicians and singers who have performed for most of their lives and some right into their 80s. It's always amazing to hear their stories, and in this show, we will hear from previously recorded interviews and live concert performances. We will learn about their start in the jazz scene, their high points and their challenges, and finally, their continued passion for this art form. Our musical guests are familiar to many, and I hope by the end of this broadcast, you will know them even better. I invite you to sit back and listen to our Minnesota jazz legends. Kiko Rangel, Jim Tenbensel, Tommy O'Donnell, and Russ Peterson. The featured musicians are backed by the house band, Phil Aaron on piano, Graydon Peterson on bass, and Phil Hay on drums. This show is brought to you by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund and KBEM. Our first Minnesota jazz legend is Frank Rangel, better known as Kiko Rangel. He got a start with his sister playing sax so he could perform Latin music for weddings and anniversaries. Kiko also became a mainstay in clubs such as Garcia's, Coronado's, and the Rathskeller on the west side of St. Paul, playing for listening and dancing pleasure. He married Clementina, who sang with his groups. Kiko eventually became a member of the Golden Strings, playing with the legendary Cliff Bronzel. His sax playing hasn't faltered, as you will hear, and he is still playing well into his 80s. Here's Kiko Rangel. Thank you. 
Bengal, everybody. Isn't he marvelous? Yeah. You grew up in the Twin Cities, but in a specific place. Where? I was uh, born down on what they call the Flats. It's Robert Street, and then there's a street called Plato. All nothing but Hispanic people. And uh, it was Hispanic people, and it was uh, Jewish people. There was about five synagogues down there, and a few black, maybe, I can count them, like maybe four total, and some uh, Italian, some Polish, but there was about almost eight to ten stores that were Jewish. So I grew up on some of that salami. <laughs> you also grew up a fine musician. When did you start playing? 16 or 17, I guess. And what was your first embracing of the music industry? Well, my sister played piano. Of course, she would be playing and singing all the time, and so she came and told me, would you like to learn on an instrument? And I said, I don't know, well, maybe saxophone, okay. So we went to a store in St. Paul, it was called Kestine's Music, 
And I started there with six free lessons and a tenor, silver tenor, and that's how I started. With the help of my sister, we learned these Hispanic tunes. And I was into the Hispanic music, which is uh, bolero and rumba and polka. That's how I started. Now, did you and your sisters play a lot of music for things like weddings and yes. quinceaneras and things had, like that? I had three sisters that would sing with the group that I had. And then we would do all kinds of anniversaries, weddings for the Hispanic people down the West Side. Talk a little bit about some of the people you've worked with through the years. Did you have a particular favorite nightclub? Well, there was uh, Casa Coronado in Minneapolis. We were there for a while. We were in the Rathskeller, and we were down in St. Paul. Rui Garcia, he had a place where we were on Friday and Saturdays. Oh, good times down there. There's other restaurants, of course, but one of the bigger ones was Garcia's and Casa Coronado. Were you doing dinner music at the time, or were you doing show music? Evening would begin, we'd be soft, and then it'd start dancing. So it was more for dancing. What have you been up to lately? Well, I do a lot of strolling, playing Mexican music at the restaurant. And then uh, we do a lot of ballroom-type dancing. As far as playing with people, I did play with Cliff Brenzel. I was with him for about 20 years. With the Golden Strings? With the Golden Strings, yeah. And... Uh, Bruce Allard, another one was uh, Brian Mintz. So yes. I was playing with three violin players, you know, jobbing all kinds of stuff. And, and plus my own stuff, so I was really working. I was going through some old books down the basement, and I said to myself, wow, how did I do that? I can't do it now, though. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there was some good times. Well, Kiko Rangel, everybody, let's hear him do another song, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
you. You are listening to Minnesota Jazz Legends, The Elders. Our next Minnesota Jazz Legend is Jim Tenbensel. Jim began playing as a young man, mastering his love of the instrument with a master's degree in music education. He has toured with the likes of Henry Mancini and Stan Kenton, and he not only conducts clinics, but currently heads up the Minneapolis Trombone Choir, now in its 41st year. He's been voted the best mainstream jazz brass player from the Minnesota Music Awards, and he has been a proud member of the Barbary Coast Dixieland Band for many years. Here's Jim Tenbensel. <laughs> I was a teacher for a number of years. I did um, regular uh, choral directing at my first job at Eden Prairie High School when it was a country school. Now I'm really giving away my age. Wow. It was just a little country school with 34 kids in the graduating class. And uh, we had a ball. And I actually directed some musicals when I was there. And that started up trend now. They still do them. So my choral music, uh, I do have a background in that. So I, I do sing. and, I, and Well, people, I know you do. It's And fun. I have studied voice. And I have gone to, you know, I've got a master's degree in music education. And I studied, I got to study under uh, people like Dominic Argento and others at the University of Minnesota. Pretty awesome school. I started playing uh, gigs so I could keep, you know, pay my tuition at school so I wouldn't be a burden on my dad. My dad wanted to see if I wanted to go to one of some big high-powered college, but I said, no, I want to stay around here. My brother went to Harvard, for instance. My brother was known as a uh, world-class doctor. He was a, a world expert in uh, child abuse and neglect. And so one of my areas has always been maternal and child health and supporting those groups. Do you use your music in that realm, or are you an activist? Um, I try to be both. And a music project that I'm working on now is called Trombone Magic. I'm just trying to produce a peaceful world for people to study music and to be uh, more kind and gentle in their, and then nonviolent. Big on that. What's your message with that group? Just that music brings joy in life in a way of musical thinking, which is an empathetic way to live, care for others. And, and it develops a character and, and all sorts of things. Are you able are, to have a chance to actually say these words to the students that you go play for? We hope to. We're going to use music as the message and then in, intersperse some of these ideas, have a peaceful society. I actually go down to the prison in Red Wing one day a week and work on these concepts with the prison, the guys, my my students. Oh, your students. At the Red Wing, yeah. These are pretty troubled guys, but uh, I'm working with the group that uh, is in transition to go out into society again. And when it's determined that they're in a happy place and they can study with me, and I'm real happy to work with those guys. When you are working with them, are you talking music or are you putting on a different hat, Jim? I mainly decided to go through with music. We just get the music in front of us and listen. I even have a jam session, which I'm trying to work it. And uh, now and then we actually come up with some pretty good effects. 
Well, I think the other piece that has been related to living life and music industry is you have to really learn how to work together in order to make a beautiful piece of music. Of course, collaboration is the whole idea that you work with others and uh, you're, you're more than yourself. It's as simple as that. But boy, it's a hard lesson for people to learn. in your career that pops out, something that you remember that really made you go, yes. Sometimes it's just going to a good concert. I went and heard Louis Armstrong, and that just changed my life. Herman's Orchestra out at the prom and one night I came to work and I shared the stage with the great Louis Armstrong. He sat next to me. It was an interesting evening because the contract read that both bands had to be on stage together all night. So we, he'd do a half hour, a little break, and then uh, we would do a half an hour of cornball dance music, Lawrence Welk style. <clears throat> Dare I say it, the regular prom white crowd. <laughs> and then Louis would do another show back and forth four times for the whole evening, and it was a wonderful memory. You've also been spending a lot of time with a very fun Dixieland band. Talk a little bit about that. I came back from Europe in 1968 and joined the Barbary Coast Dixieland show, and I was with that pretty full-time for three or four years. Um, Then I became a sub with that band for 30 years. And then uh, when their regular trombone player passed away, they invited me back. And uh, then we did a lot of touring. Yes, ma'am. How are you? Hey, good, good. Oh, yeah. you sound great. You look great. Well, thanks, yeah. Uh, you've been doing this your whole life. Was trombone your first instrument? Uh, yeah, I took it up at age 12 or so, you know, like everybody else. Yes. And I just got bitten by it. And then my brother took me to a Louis Armstrong concert, and I said, I got to do this, you know. 
And uh, since then, I've just dabbled in it all the time. What are some of the groups you've been with? Oh, well, I actually played with Kiko Rangel as a 19-year-old. I played in his, his all-Hispanic band. And one of the advantages of being a trombone player in this town is you get to join other ethnic bands because there's a lack of trombone players. So I'm trying to remedy that by... Uh, by Preaching trombone to the well, public. Well, uh, obviously that worked. Yeah. And so that's a lot of fun. But I know that when I read your bio, you are part of or head of a trombone choir? Yeah, right. We just finished our 46th year of the Minneapolis Trombone Choir. And uh, wow. we're running now between 40 and 50 trombone players every year. We do a concert in March, and it's wonderful. Oh. And I'm in an outreach program now from that group to go out to the public schools and preach trombone and get the message out. The value of a peaceful community is based in music and the other arts, of course. Um, here, here. I, right, exactly. We don't want to see that go yeah. away. But that's another conversation altogether. Tell me a highlight in your life with music. Well, uh, that bit going out with Henry Mancini was kind of fun. And uh, and then uh, I was in the Orchestra Hall Big Band for many, many years, played a number of acts there. And in the uh, State Fair Big Band uh, for 23 years, played many acts. So I started listing all the players that I had backed, and it got longer. I was like, like who? Well, Rosemary Clooney and the Mills Brothers and Bob Hope many times, and on and on and on. It just goes... Amazing. Well, as a backup band. You know. Well, sure, but some of the bands were Ray Comiskey Orchestra. Well, were yeah, you and with then him? I went out with a little uh, road trip with Stan Kenton and uh, was out with uh, Martiri. Little road trip. Yeah, well, I, these are small little gigs over the years. Yeah. I've, I've, been, I've done a lot of teaching, so uh, I was always not available. Where were you teaching? Well, I taught uh, at Bloomington schools. I taught um, uh, in Minneapolis schools. I was a band director at Washburn High School. Let's hear it. And um, then I went overseas with the overseas dependent schools. This is back during the old Vietnam days. I got a little what? deferment to go out and teach your children peaceful ways of living. Okay, Jimmy, what's going on with you right now with uh, your career? What, what do you got going? Because well, I know if there's anybody, 76 trombones, that's about how many plates you got spinning in the air. Well, I'm just trying to keep active now. Years ago, I used to do a lot of clinics and guest soloist appearances, and I'm trying to build that back up again. So if you need a, a guest soloist at your school and promoting the trombone as a vehicle for good music, uh, I'm your guy, okay? Let's do another song. What do you want to do? I'm going to do a Duke Ellington song, because every jazz event should have a Duke Ellington piece. And this is called, What Am I Here For? An interesting philosophical and theological question. <laughs> Deal with that while we're playing it. Jim Tenbands, hello, everyone. Oh, 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 oh. 
advice to up-and-coming young musicians, what would that be? Develop a peaceful lifestyle that's good to yourself and good for others. It's a, it's a high goal, but uh, I recommend it. I recommend the study of music uh, because it does teach some diligence and collaboration and uh, getting a, away from yourself a little bit and to giving joy to other people, I think, is a about uh, the idea that music can be a powerful force in life, and love is the key. <laughs> you are an inspiration. I thank you. Well, thank you. Listening to Minnesota jazz legends, the Elders. Virtuoso pianist Tommy O'Donnell is our next Minnesota jazz legend. He began playing piano as a young boy playing classical music. He found his love of jazz at a very young age, even impressing Errol Garner's band while still in college. He played the Twin Cities Jazz Clubs in the 1950s, and after a brief stint out west, he came back to the jazz clubs in the Twin Cities that he has always called home. Here's Tommy O'Donnell.
You, to me, are what is history of jazz music in the Twin Cities. Talk to me a little bit about how you decided to get into this wonderful gift of yours. I was an adopted-only child. My parents got me when I was brand new uh, in Chicago. And uh, we moved up here. And my uncle was the president of Montgomery Wards. And he was one of those guys that played violin, and he was a jeweler, and he played some piano. And he'd come over to the parties that we'd have, and he'd play this knuckle piano where you put knuckles on the piano. And so I'd play with him. He showed me the tennis. I was probably about four five years old. And I really loved doing that. And I was compelled to continue to play. My mother got me an old upright. I think I painted it chartreuse. You did. I did, I did. <laughs> and uh, being on the job gave me a lot of time by myself. It seems to me that, as I recall, that I was immediately playing my own harmony, even at that age. That was the beginning, and uh, I did some TV shows uh, when I was about 10, 15 years old. They had uh, Toby Prynne had a show, and then I recall uh, playing at the prison in Stillwater. There was a man that had a magic show, and he would hire young talent like myself, and I would do a Liberace show. Are you still 10 years old at this point? Maybe 12, 13. Gosh. And I did a Liberace show because you got to remember that when I started playing, there was really only radio. By 1955, people were just beginning to get TV sets. And Liberace was one of the first people to be on TV. And he was a really fine piano player. Yes, he was. I met him and I know him and he was a fantastic Chopin player. And so I did the show for the, the poor guys in prison and they loved it. You know, I'd put a candle on it do a little impersonation and things like that. You know, it was oh, great. Fun. It was great fun. Talk about some of the nightclubs that you played. Played over to Highland Park, played for Cab Calloway. Two weeks, had Dave Carr and saxophone. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it was fabulous. You oh. know, he, he did, uh, you know, uh, many of the mooch and all the original things. What a great entertainer and what a great singer. And so two weeks with him, and then the four lads came in. They did Shangri-La, all these big hits, you know, and they were just sensational. And uh, again, I was called by Benny Price, uh, who owned the club, and he asked me if I'd do the show for him, and I did. It was a couple of shows. I did some others, too. How old would you have been back then? 21, 22. Oh, my gosh. Toots Thielman had just left George Ring's band. He was making $500 a week at the time. And, you know, at that time, pretty decent money. And he was so happy to be away from George Shearing because it was the same song every night, the same way, you know, which is great. But after doing it for five years, it gets kind of hard. And he'd get his eight bars of solo. and say, So he whistled when he'd play, you know, his solos. He could whistle his solos. He played harmonica better than anybody I've ever heard in my life. The guy played guitar like Django Reinhardt. I mean, he was fantastic, and, and he wrote Bluesette while I was with him, while we were there. You are kidding. No, and, and we played it every night. It was just great, and he offered Trio. He said, I'm going to take you to Europe with me. Thank you. 
short story about Errol Garner was doing a concert at the University Kaufman Memorial. And uh, I happened to be there that afternoon when the band was setting up and I played with his rhythm section. Errol wasn't there. And I played with them and they, they were so taken with my imitation of Errol that they said, Tom, you gotta come down to the club tonight and meet Errol because he's just gonna be crazy about you. And I said, wow, okay. So I did, and I met Errol, and we became very good friends. And uh, so by my doing Errol Garner, I did it for two reasons. Uh, I never heard any other piano player even try to play like Errol Garner because he just uses all ten fingers almost all the time. And I said, if I can do that, I can play anything on the piano. And so I started to indulge in you know, uh, copying Errol Garner note for note. And it turned out where I was able to hear it and play it. Errol was one of the first uh, black millionaires in the United States. In fact, I think he was probably the first one along with Duke Ellington. And Errol had the first uh, gold LP of any jazz artist concert by the sea, which he did in 1955, 56, 57 when I was still a senior in high school. Oh my gosh. And uh, so he was the biggest thing. And you know, he taught me a real good lesson about we play for the people. We don't play for ourselves. You know, I, I have to say this to the young players out there, you know, you go to a place and people don't want to hear giant steps maybe, they don't want to hear that. They want to hear some tune that they know, like I don't care if it's cent and dollar or whatever it is, but something they recognize. We play because they're there, the audience is there. They're not there to just feed you, you're there to feed them. He said, Tommy, I always just, I, I feel the crowd. I get there and I look at the crowd and I, I can feel what they're feeling and I play for them. talking about when you were at a place called the Downbeat. We were talking about another place called Herb's Bar. And you played with many, many stars that came through at Herb's Bar. Can you name a few of them? Uh, I played with Chet Baker uh, out at, the, uh, at Lakeview, at uh, Lake Minnetonka. And then I went to Herb's and I played with uh, Toots the Omens and Jackie McLean and Johnny Griffin and uh, many more. What age were you? I was about 19. Then you left town, went to the West Coast for a little while, came back. You were a part of a group called Natural Life for a little while. Is that true? Yeah, actually, I started it. You did? I did start it. Okay. I was reading and Joined at the Hip. It's a great book on the history of Minnesota jazz. But it talks about how you were in the beginning of this incredible group with Mike Elliott, Bobby Rockwell. And, and your brother. Billy Peterson. Who was on drums at that Bill point? Berg. Bill Berg was on drums at and the that time. And that was the original band. And then I was offered a steady job with Irv Williams at the top of the Hilton. Irv Williams was there, what, six nights a week for years and years? Seventy years. Yes. And uh, you joined him there. Were you there the whole time? I was there for about four years with Mike Elliott, yeah. Jack Bertelson, and uh, I played organ there. Did you have a favorite club that you worked? I think it was still Herbs when it was when it existed, because it was always packed. 
So, okay, so Herb's Bar, what year are we talking? Was that the 50s, 60s? 59. And who was with you? Probably uh, George Avalos. Uh, Denny Burgess was a, a really fine bass player. Stu Anderson played bass, but was loaded with fun, and like I said, it was always packed. So, you had a birthday this winter. I did. How old are you? I can't remember. Okay, <laughs> that's a great answer. Would you do another song for us? I will, I will. Okay, Tommy O'Donnell, everybody. Minnesota jazz legends, the elders. Our last Minnesota jazz legend hails from Minnesota's first family of music, the Petersons. He began playing under the tutelage of his father, Earl Peterson, who was a child prodigy violinist. He mastered the blues at a very early age with his brothers, Tom and Bobby. Russ learned every instrument he could get his hands on out of his school years and eventually used those talents to have a lifelong career being a multi-instrumentalist and a vocalist. He has been inducted into the Minnesota Music Hall of Fame along with the Barbary Coast Dixieland Band, and he considers one of his highlights the work with his very own big band. Here's Russ Peterson. Congratulations on being a Minnesota jazz legend's The Elder. Wow. Never thought I'd make it this long. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, and the elder meaning you're one who has pounded the pavement since you were a little kid, playing the nightclubs and doing different shows and uh, playing in a band in the armed services. And talk about your early years, would you? Maybe a little bit of your family? Well, when we were growing up, uh, we needed somebody to play the, the blues with us, you know? So my 12-year-old brother, Bobby, we taught him how to play that, and we made him do it for hours, you know? And, <laughs> And when he'd play the blues, he'd stomp his foot like this, you know. And um, after a couple, three hours of that for a couple of years, he wore a hole in the carpet. <laughs> so that's... Seriously? That's, that's, yeah, oh Bobby did. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Bobby did. But we, we worked on him real hard, and consequently, uh, he made it... Uh, when he was 19, he went out with Buddy Rich and 
the rest is history. Yeah, you know? no kidding. And you have an older brother, Tom Peterson. Yep, Tommy did the Tonight Show for know, 18 years. Oh my gosh, yes. With, uh, he Los was Angeles. the number one sub for the um, all the saxophones, and of course, uh, Ernie Watts was never there. Oh, and so Pete he Chrisley a lot. was. Pete Crisley was never there. You know, they were always in the studios. So Tommy played five nights a week oh, for 18 gosh. years every day. Tell me a highlight in your entire life. I know you you have a wonderful wife of many years and lots of great kids 50, and grandkids. And 54 grandkids. years. 54 years. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> Musically, what stands out in your mind? You know, I was on the road with some pretty big name guys and stuff. Like? And, uh, I'm trying to remember their names. <laughs> Tune Les, in after Les and Larry Elgard was okay. one. I played some gigs with them. I, I played some gigs with uh, Barbary Kosia, yeah, of oh, course. Oh, yes. An award-winning Minnesota Music Hall of Fame with the Barbary Coast. Yeah, You've been inducted, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And with the Peterson family. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. I had a lot of pictures, good? you know. You got a lot of pictures? Well, <laughs> yeah. we'll bring them on the radio. That'll work real yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you enjoy those folks. <laughs> <laughs> Do another tune. Let's get the guys okay. out. Quite a musical household, and music was in your family. Yes, it was. Uh, my dad was a violin player. He made his debut with the symphony when he was nine and a half. That's on uh, violin, unbelievable. No yeah. With the symphony, yes. no kidding. Yep. And if we were going to do something musical, it had to be good. And did he guide you? Did he teach you? Yeah. As a matter of fact, when I was in second grade, he gave me a clarinet that he had tried to play in his earlier years. So I played clarinet from second grade to sixth grade. And then after that, I went to a junior high school and I say, well, we don't need clarinet players. Well, what do you need? Well, uh, we need a saxophone player. So I went out and I bought a saxophone from a guy for, I think it was $200. So I paid him $10 a month until it was paid for two no years. <laughs> and so, so I played that through seventh, eighth and ninth grade and got to 10th grade. And I said, well, do you need a clarinet player? No. Do you need a saxophone player? Uh, no. Well, what do you need? Well, we need a bassoon player. 
No, Russ. So, and I wanted to be in the band. I went the worst way, you know, so. Uh, sure. Playing the bassoon was the worst way. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he gave me one and he gave me a, um, a book and he showed me where the practice room was. And so off I went and a couple weeks later, I was playing in the band. Well, no kidding. You learned it that fast? I had to. <laughs> so what happened is uh, I got into the band and the orchestra. So I had a couple hours of bassoon every day. That was kind of fun. And by the time I was a senior, you know, I was getting kind of good at this thing and I was kind of liking it, you know. But uh, my uh, teacher, Orrin Henning in the band, let me sneak around and play different instruments. So I went over and I played the clarinet for a while and, and uh, then I'd sneak over and play a French horn. And I'd sneak in the trumpet section and play the trumpet for a little while and he didn't care. Just you so long as I could play them. You played the trumpet way back then. Enough to get through, you know, no high notes, but okay. just just enough to, you know, I knew the fingerings and everything. And so. I just think when you grew up, you learned how to play two trumpets at the same time. Holy mackerel. <laughs> That's a whole story in itself. What a scary thought that is. <laughs> <laughs> Did you go to college? Yeah, I did. I went to University of Minnesota for a year. Before that, now I got to tell you about it, I was in the service and was, uh, geez, I guess uh, 18. Did you enlist? Uh, I did. I decided, you know, I got to do something. So a buddy of mine, he and I joined them. We figured, well, we'll be together. I'll at least know somebody. After the basic training, eight weeks, he went one way, I went the other way. I must have identified a screwdriver because they said, oh, you're a mechanic. So I had to go to that mechanic school, and they said, well, if you don't pass this school, uh, you go right to the infantry. You know, and we left about a month later from New Jersey, Fort Dix. The first place we went to was uh, France. They put us on a one-stacker. That's a, a little, a small boat. There were 2,500 GIs on there, and we were in a hurricane the whole way over there. It took 13 days to get there. Anyway, so how many years did you serve? Uh, almost four. You did? Yeah, I got extended. Which war? Vietnam. I wondered. No. And so did you stay in France or were no. you? They kicked us out of France in early 63. I went to Germany for a little bit and then from there to Vietnam. Oh. Saigon. Do you ever talk about the things that you experienced? Uh, no. About I'd it. rather talk about music. Did you get to play music when you were in the service? Uh, yes, I did, yeah. Do you remember the movie The Longest Day? Um, all those great actors that were there. I played for that big party, and I played with a French band. They let me go to do that. And That's great. I got a chance to meet Robert Mitchum and John Wayne, and it was like a dream come true. So you served for nearly four years. Mm -hmm. When you came home, did you have to start over? Well, when I got home, you know, I went to the Rainbow Cafe. Remember that one? Yes, I the remember The Rainbow that. Gallery, I guess they called it. Uh, and uh, I met a ton of players there, and I got a chance to do some jazz there. And people would come from out of town, like the Tonight Show band, and all the guys came down there. My brother Tom brought them down. Was that a ball? And so tell me some of the clubs besides Rainbow Room, for example, that you were working. The Downbeat, they had a small big band, I guess you could call it. It was about a 13-piece band. 
And there I met Jackie Cohen, and things spun off from that, and I got calls to do other stuff, shows and uh, other big bands. And in 1960 died, I met Jack Gillespie, and he hired me right off the bat to play some lead alto at the Corn Palace for Brenda Lee, the real fun deal, because there were some really great players on that band, and there were all kinds of uh, stars there. So all of your years of schooling or just loving of the instrument, you were ready to go. Ready to go, yeah, I was ready for that one. Well, being at the Downbeat and reading that, that book helped me a lot. So I, that was five years I did that till 1970. Do you think, is there been a particular highlight in your life musically? Red Wolf, a guy that played the trumpet and had his own band. I worked with the Echoes of Bellington band for a long time. You did? Yeah, in this, you know, in the late 70s and early 80s. And Percy Hughes was with the band also, yes. both of them. Excellent, wonderful players and really nice guys. Boone and Erickson, we did their show for many years. Right. At the Old Log Theater. You sure you know? did. And uh, they were great. Yeah, and Willie, uh, your dad, Willie Peterson, when I first got out of service, he was giving me jobs, and he would sit there, and I I was listening to John Coltrane and a few of those guys, and I'd start taking it out a little bit, and he kicked me in the shins. He, he made me sit right next to him, and he'd say, play the melody, play the melody. That's funny, Russ. Oh, my gosh. It was hilarious. they want to get into this. Do you have advice? One thing is to practice and get proficient at your instrument and then listen to other jazz players that have made CDs and stuff and if you can go out and hear live music, that's very important. Just stick with it. I mean, there's a lot of times that you want to just quit because you think you're not good enough, but just keep hanging in there and you'll, you'll get better. The more you play, the better you get.
been listening to the Minnesota jazz legends, The Elders, hosted and produced by Patty Peterson, executive producers Michelle Jansen and Travis Ryder. The featured musicians for the jazz legends are backed by the house band, Phil Aaron on piano, Graydon Peterson on bass, and Phil Hay on drums. Production engineers are Steve Weiss and Miles Hansen from Creation Audio. Special thanks to the Minnesota History Center for the use of their 3M stage for the live concert. The Minnesota Jazz Legends, The Elders, is funded by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. This is a production of KBEM Radio.